I've been really fortunate in that the consultants I've worked with have been so able to advocate for me when I'm overwhelmed and I haven't noticed. Um, so there's an awful lot of that. And we had a big debrief after that, too. And we were able to talk about it very freely. Um, and I remember that I spoke about how I was so glad I was trying to get the drip in because I couldn't have done chest compressions. I would have just felt found that really difficult to do. And I don't think I would have been able to do it. So we debrief about these big, big, sad things. Um, and we talk about them a lot. And I I think there's definitely the culture shifted so much to like making sure you know, we, we made teas and coffees. We got piles of biscuits put it all in a room and anyone involved we came and we sat and we talked about it so that was a brilliant you know example of a debrief welcome to that's what she said the podcast for empowering women my name is lucienne shakir and as a female empowerment specialist i'm a woman who knows what it's like to lose their mind through a lacking of female sense of self and identity my aim is to share stories from women around the world to help you see that you are not on your own. If you feel that you are lost in the sea of who am I, these collections of conversations are for you. Sit back and enjoy listening to this phenomenal collective of female voices in That's What She Said. Today I have the complete honour of speaking with Maddie Lucy Dan, comedian, A&E doctor and just all round incredible long boy. You will be hearing from somebody who has such a wealth of inspirational um, life stories and I just loved speaking with her. She talks about why she stopped saying, I'm tired. In response to the question, how are you? She debunks the myth of the long boy and my clear middle age. Um, She has some moments here of deep sadness as well. As Maddie is an A&E doctor, she is training in that field. She does talk about some of those experiences which might be difficult for listeners to hear. So a warning on that. Um, And she discusses around emotions being beautiful things, how she embraces that, her social media journey. And labelling an identity, how we can be many, many different things and we don't necessarily have to stick to the rigid guidelines that society puts upon us. I've loved watching her journey on social media. I reached out to her and she was incredible in getting back to me and coming on this podcast. I introduced Maddie Lucy Dan, one of my favourite people on this planet. I'm doing something really rather audacious and I'm asking lots of people that I don't know to come and talk their stories because I want a bit more of the female voice, um, the real female voice Absolutely. in popular media. So the podcast is That's What She Said. I'm going to write a book called Her Story. That gives you a bit of an idea of, of who I am and what I'm doing. Yeah. And... Um, Maddie, I just love you because (laughs) you are brilliant. The first post that I ever saw of you was you being a long boy in the doorframe. Absolutely. And I said to myself, I need to get to know this person. So (laughs) I would love to hear, who are you, Maddie? Who are you to the general public? Who is she? I mean, so I'm a couple of different people, really. Um, If you ask my doctors, no, I'm kidding. Um, So I'm, first and foremost, I'm Maddie. I'm 28. I'm originally from Bristol, but I now live in Manchester. Um, I work as an A&E doctor. So I'm in my training at the minute. Um, I'm sort of... Uh, four and a half years graduated um, working as a doctor and then sort of over the past year and a half I've sort of developed this online presence as well which is super fun and thrilling um so online I'm Maddie Lucy Dan and I'm a certified long boy uh and I'm just a bit more silly I, I sort of like to separate <laughs> my medical life from my long boy life that I have online to there I think that's that's pretty much me yeah I love it I love it you're very funny Thank you. You're very funny. Does it um does it is it something that you have to harness and work on or are you allowing yourself to just be who you are? 
I think definitely growing up, I was always very loud and a bit audacious and I would be, I was the naughty kid at school. So I think I learned then to to draw it in a bit and to take the temperature of the room I was in, especially then starting working as a doctor, you've got to choose your times and you've got to know when it's appropriate to make a joke and when it isn't. And actually there's a lot of opportunity in medicine to make jokes and making a patient laugh puts them at ease and it's a great tool. But I've absolutely, I've had to, I've had to measure it and I've had to be careful with it. Um, but I think that's come through the medical training. I think that's come through being a naughty child at school. Um, but otherwise, I think getting those sort of the social cues, really. But otherwise, I do feel like I am very much myself, um, which is great. Which I'm, I'm so I'm so pleased. I'm so lucky that I can just be myself and have such a positive reaction. I feel very lucky. Yeah, it's um, it's quite extraordinary, actually, because seeing your stuff on Instagram, I've, I've never been a huge Instagram user only in the last year. And it you stood out to me not like a sore thumb I'm not gonna say that you stood out to me (laughs) that would be rude wouldn't it you stood out to me like someone who was very real I think very very real and what I especially appreciated and I don't want to make this sound really vacuous and 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 silly but I really appreciated seeing somebody truly beautiful prepared to be unmakeuped, super stupid, show their nostrils, um, talk about stuff that's, uh, and it's like, yes, please, can we have more of this? Um, And it takes a confident person, Maddie, to do that, I think. I can't believe you think Um, I'm beautiful. (laughs) That's very nice. beautiful. Stop it. Thank you. Well, do you know what? I'm going to tell you something because I think I think you might find this funny. This is really weird, by the way. For anyone listening, it's so strange to have a conversation with someone that you don't know, <laughs> that you feel that you know, but just because you've been watching them on social media. So I'm going to say this to Maddie, and I really hope that she doesn't mind. And I'm just gauging from her social media presence that she won't mind. So... I was very used to seeing Maddie on her stories and on Maddie's stories there's not very often much makeup it's very you in yourself and um and then when I looked at your social media grid I was like my goodness me this woman is stunning she she should be a model Um, so was that intentional or was there a like uh a difference between how you played your Instagram game? No, so I, I don't know. I mean, there are certainly some pictures on my Instagram grid that are very Instagram story, that are very up my nostrils, no makeup. I don't know. I do. I exist mostly with no makeup on, especially over the pandemic, because I was putting makeup on and then I was putting a mask over the top and I just thought, and I got way more sleep with no makeup, which is great. And so I think it's, it's not been um, purposeful, I think it's just however I'm existing at that point in my life, that's how it goes online. So I hope it's a true reflection of, of you know, I was out the other day and I bumped into some people that knew me and I was absolutely makeupless. I'd changed into a jumper after work and scraped my hair back. So it, it's not entirely purposeful. I mean, sometimes a particularly funny picture from my story will make it to the grid, you know, if we think it's very funny. But no, it's not really on purpose. I think it's just a, a reflection of, of what I'm doing at that minute. And it tends to be that if I'm doing a quick story, I will not have any makeup on. I'm not putting makeup on for an Instagram story, that's for sure. Yeah, if you can, go and check Maddie's profile out because unlike some of the other people that I'm speaking to, some of the other women that I'm speaking to, I have only known Maddie through this Instagram world, which is really like it's a really odd thing when you think about it um, because I feel like I can speak to you really naturally about who you are and what you do and I really would I really wanted you on the podcast because of your authentic voice because um, finding um, a person who is so comfortable to just be anything and everything and not feel that they have to have this vehicle that they use to steer their marketing and therefore be prescriptive. Pardon the pardon the medical pun. Very um, good. Is, is, oh, thanks. Thanks for doing practice. <laughs> I'll that. write that I'm one down. um but you we have a few things in common so obviously being funny is one of them I'm I'm not 
funny. I am not the funny one in the family. Um, The things that we have in common are I lived in Manchester for 10 years and I love Manchester. And I believe you love Manchester. I too, love don't you? Manchester. What do you love about Manchester? Can I just say Canal Street? No, it's more than it's more than just Canal Street. Um I it's I think the weather's actually not that bad. Everyone says the weather in Manchester is terrible. I'm looking out the window, it's stunning at the minute. Um I love the people up here. I've met an awful lot of wonderful people since coming up north. Really lifelong friends I've met up here, so I really enjoy that. And I love Manchester town. I love that you can go 15 minutes and end up in Tatton Park in Nutsford and be in the green and all the green areas of Manchester, the industrial history of Manchester, the bee. Who doesn't love the Manchester bee? And there's definitely that, that people are friendly. There's a sense of community. Um, there's And there's so many different areas to Manchester. It's not you've got all these different little areas that are so you know close to each other, but so different. So there's something for everyone at Manchester ad sponsored by manchester mm. <laughs> <laughs> i love it my sister now lives there so she moved into my old house before i sold it and it was in salford and um it was i just i had my son there he was born at salford royal and it it was 10 years of glorious glorious life i made friends for life there yeah. and i just think Manchester, there's something special about Manchester. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to start asking you some very serious questions <gasps> about your mullet, not mullet, shag, not shag. <laughs> How are you feeling with your new cut? Well, I've had to put this uh, Alice band on because she's misbehaving after being in a hat all day. I wear, I've got, I'm working in theatres, so I've got to wear one of those very attractive hats. Um, but we'll get her out. So I feel like I'm in a K-pop band. I've never felt more myself. Look at her. Woo! We love it. It is great. Thank the cut you. Is great. I mean, it's, gone, it's misbehaving at the front a little. So I'll put the Alice band back on. But no, we love it. Uh, I like the phrase "shave my neck short," and what it means is. I want it as short as possible without being shorter at the back and longer at the front. So when they, to mm-hmm. get it this short, they have to shave my neck, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by yeah. shave, shave my neck short. But I love it. And my hairdresser, she absolutely, I mean, I've been going to the same people, Vanilla Tramp in Didsbury for ever since I moved up north. And I love them. And they always know exactly Very what I want, nice. even though I give them stressful descriptions. <laughs> you didn't want the Victoria Beckham style bob. You wanted the mm. shave it short. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love it. Okay. No, I am I am actually gonna tap into a bit of serious now. So you've got um you've got being a doctor, being an online presence, you've got um you've got a lot of the work that you do around just advocating being who you are, the humour. Um, you were on the Sky. You were on Sky, weren't you? Um, the program. Or what is it called again? Dating No Filter. Yes, is that right. That's right. So that's lots and lots of different hats. And so um, I haven't even told you what I do. So I, I work with uh, women in exec roles who work with a v- veneer of perfection, basically, oh. and that can be really really awful I had a nervous breakdown 10 years ago I was in education quite quite high up in in education and um it was all because of this female identity what it meant to be a mum what it meant to be someone in education teacher a wife um, a mother and I don't want other people to go through what I went through so what you've got going on is loads of different really quite distinct identities what would you say about how you manage that? Is there any management of that or does it all just happen quite naturally? Yeah, I think I've I've always tried very hard to not be defined by one thing about myself or about my character or about my abilities. And I think in that way, because I've never felt defined by that one thing, I've never had all of my self-worth or my confidence resting on one pillar of something. And I think the tricky thing is, is you, I've, I've seen women before who will have an awful lot of their confidence will come from how they look. And if that's knocked away, their confidence falls. Whereas I felt for myself, I had different things going on that I felt confident about. And so if one knocked over, you know, like the islands on Inside Out, is that what it's called? 
and they <laughs> and they all fall down. But I feel like I've got I've got backup, yeah. so I don't define myself in one in one discipline. And in that way, I feel like I'm more confident in all of them because I know that even if I lost that. I'm still me. I'm still myself. I haven't lost a part of myself. And so I've always had that sort of mindset. I definitely was that annoying kid in school who did quite well at most things. So I've always been very fortunate in that I have done well at things through school. And I think that's been great. You know, I was good at sport and I I had good academics and I was naughty, which was great fun. Um, So I was always lucky in that sense, too. But I, I made it very and especially then starting medicine I never wanted my life to be consumed by medicine and I had seen it happen in years above me at medical school I'd heard stories I wanted to keep playing sport I wanted to have a social life and so that was a very strong thought in my mind of how can I make sure I don't become Maddie the medic I don't become Maddie the netballer I'm still all three so I've always had that in my head as a reminder And so the way I probably action that is that I will be really vigilant as to when I notice that one part of something I'm doing is taking up a lot of my time and I'll think about ways to combat that. So I didn't live with any other medics until my fourth year of university, third or fourth year, um, because then all your other friends have graduated, so you sort of have to live with medics. Um, But I tried really hard not to live with medics. I tried to not just do medic sport. I did uni sport. So I've, I've always been quite conscious of not defining myself in one way. And it's it's definitely been and, and in that same way, I've sort of noticed over the years how I as a singular person can exist in all these different areas just as I am. I've sort of seen I've seen the proof in the pudding, mm-hmm. really, um, having done lots of different things and been myself in in all of them and seen that it's worked out for me. But I do think I have been mm-hmm. lucky. Um, I think there's an awful lot of luck with the success I have had, which I'm so grateful for. It's great fun. Well, it sounds to me like if you've been so conscientious about it, you know, I do wonder how much luck is actually involved in that because, you know, if you're setting your own path and you're you're being very mindful of, of where you place your energy and ensuring that you've got backup, I love that. I mean, I've never heard anyone talk of having like, reserves of identity almost and keeping them strong um I find that absolutely fascinating um I wonder how much of that is actually luck or you simply being quite actively tenacious about doing that yeah I mean I think I have there definitely has been it's not been passive it's been an active sort of thing to um to make sure I've got you know, all these ways that I have this confidence and all these backup, not backup identities, but all these sort of other things that make me who I am. And I think I've always tried to be quite mindful and I've always tried to be grateful for the things I have. There was something that um, a girl I went to uni with said to me once, and it has always stuck to me. And it was so simple. We were going on our way to uni and someone goes, oh, hi, how are you? And then, you know, everyone goes, oh, yeah, a bit tired, a bit this. And my friend just said, I've stopped saying that I'm a bit tired because that's what everyone says. Everyone just says, oh, hi, how are you? Yeah, a bit tired. How are you? And she stopped saying it. And almost when you stop saying, well, I'm a bit tired or I'm a little bit stressed, you sort of, you manifest it out of out of existence. You don't focus on that. You find something positive to say like, oh, well, I, you know, so that stuck with me. And then I was so aware. And I also say to my family a lot that life is, uh, 10% what happens to you and 99% how you react to it. And when I realized the amount of control I could take back about how I felt about situations that I had no control over, um, it gave me so much power to, to sort of say, well, actually, okay, so this has happened. Um, I can feel emotionally about it to a point where it's helpful. Uh, you know, feeling a bit nervous for an exam makes you work. But I knew beyond that, that's not helpful. So I've always tried to understand and be mm. mindful of my emotions. So I suppose it is a bit of, a, of an active sort of thing. Um, and I've gone a little bit off topic there because you were asking me something else. And I've gone a little bit. No, I love it, Maddie. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Have you ever then, and please don't feel that you have to share this. And, and if you do struggle with any of it, we will cut bits out. Um, have you ever struggled then with the notion of identity? Yeah, I think everyone has in in a way. And I think I've I've never felt really sort of I've never felt that it has been a huge, huge struggle for me. And I wonder if that's the approach I've always had to it is okay, I'm I feel a certain way. 
let's explore that. Let's not be frightened of it. I've always tried to never be frightened of emotion. And I actually, I, I sometimes, when you watch a really sad film and it makes you cry, I love the human's ability to have that sort of physical emotion. I honestly think emotion and crying or being hugely sad or heartbroken or frightened, I think it's a beautiful thing that we can do that, that we can experience that. So I try not to fear that. But I've 100%, um, you know, struggled with identity um, I remember when I was, uh, I must have been in secondary school and I've never really like, I mean, I've, I've hinted to things like this online before and I've sort of peppered it in and left a little trail of breadcrumbs, I think. I mean, I say a trail of breadcrumbs, I've thrown some loaves out. But I, uh, when I, I remember I was at school <laughs> and uh, we were in a drama lesson and there was this girl at school and she was the popular girl and she had the nice school trousers that fit her really nicely. And I remember seeing her up on stage and I was like, oh no, I fancy her. Oh no, what what? Wait. And I was really like, what the what on earth is this? What's going on? And I was very like, this is very odd. And I remember I got home and I remember I got home before my mum and I'm sitting there on the verge of a panic attack, like, this is something's this isn't how it's supposed to what? This doesn't make any sense to me. And my mum got mm-hmm. home and I'm in such panic. And I I was I was I went through a stage when I was younger where I didn't hug anyone. I'm a bit socially awkward with hugging and physical contact. And I probably was in that stage with my mum. So talking about anything like that would have been a huge thing. But I was so on the verge of a panic attack. I went up to my mum and I went, mm-hmm. Mum, what if I was gay? <laughs> and she was like, Oh <laughs> well that would be that would be all right. And suddenly I was like, Oh, okay, so this like great this is not pre-apocalyptic fine and then she made little jokes and quibs and things from then onwards and uh recently I found a diary I must have written when I was slightly maybe around that age or slightly younger my handwriting was terrible and I remember that one of my friends I must have been in secondary school had told me she was bisexual and that was the first I'd ever heard of anything like that and I remember writing so she said that she's not gay um, but bisexual and I was sort of reasoning out what that meant and then I uh, I wrote in my diary well I don't think I'm gay I don't really think I'm straight maybe I'm a stray <laughs> 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 so I would say that's and that and so that's probably been my identity struggle that I've had before but I, I even looking back 11 year old me dealt with it with humor so well done her. We love that. And that's followed me through a little bit, but I've never let it bother me. I think I've been fortunate in that I am interested in men um, as well as women. So that's allowed me to, you know, just carry on with life. And, and I think if I had been either way, you know, and I would have I would have struggled much more. So I do feel fortunate in that sense. But that's probably it, really. Um, I've always loved being tall. I've always loved being ginger. Mm. So I've never really struggled with a physical um identity thing but I don't know yeah that's probably my and as I say I've, I've put little breadcrumbs out some people like I'll do little Q&As and I'll be like I'm unisex because I don't know it's I think I struggle with finding the right word for myself and I can rather just better explain um because pansexual makes you think about like pots and pans it doesn't I doesn't resonate with me I don't like saying it I mean labels labels is something that's very interesting as well and, and yeah. that for anything whether that's uh, race gender sexuality um disability when we're talking about ableism it's um my son is autistic and i'm not a big fan of labels however he really loves that because it helps him to understand mm-hmm. who he is and i think it is what we make of it isn't it really humans are so wonderfully com- complex but so simple we just need a a word to define us please so that we can go into either that box or that one or that one so it sounds like your 11 year old self dealt with that incredibly well she she knew Um, what was coming (laughs) amazing amazing I love that and and talking of your parents then was there any any was there ever any pressure um with with medical school with becoming a doctor with with that kind of social norm or not I mean, almost the opposite. So when I did my um, GCSEs, I ended up getting an award for my English literature and English language for my my score. Um, And so I always liked English and I took it for English literature for A-level and I'd I'd enjoyed it and I was performing well at it. And I remember none of my, so my mum's a teacher uh, and my dad's a, a news cameraman. And so there's no medics in my family. And I, 
I got the idea in my head for medicine. I'm still not really sure where it came from, but I did. And it sort of just carried through in GCSEs and I sort of was going that way. And I remember my mum said to me, she was like, look, I know you've always said that you want to do medicine. And it all started off with a dinner party joke because the longest word I knew was geriatrician. So mum would be, oh, what do you want to be when you're older, darling? And I'd say geriatrician so I can look after mum. It's a geriatrics, it's the care of elderly people. So that was always our dinner party trick. And it just carried on from there. And uh, She said to me, you know, you don't, I know you've always said you want to do medicine, but you don't have to do it. Like you don't have to do this. If, if you, if you, you know, you're much more suited to English literature. It comes more easily to you because science never came that easily to me. I had to work very hard um, to get the grades. So she said, you know, you mm -hmm. don't have to do it. So really it was quite the opposite. Um, but actually I think that was the most supportive thing she could say to me because it allowed me to have that thought with, you know, that conversation with myself and go, okay, hang on, I am choosing a more difficult path here. Why am I doing that? And genuinely, my interest in, it's an emergency medicine that is really my medical interest, um, was enough to for me to do that. So no, quite the opposite. I've, I've never felt pressure from my parents to do anything that I haven't wanted to do. But equally, I've never felt like I haven't been encouraged or I haven't been um, supported in whatever it is I am doing. I think my mum and uh, my mum especially stroke, you know, um, hit a very good level of, I think, behind the scenes, getting me and giving me that confidence to do what I wanted but me never feeling like I hadn't chosen to do that thing, you know? So if I was going to, to rugby training mm -hmm. that mum hated when I was younger, she was terrified and it was freezing cold and I was tired. I never felt like I was being pushed there by my mum. I always knew I could just not go. And I think that in itself was what drove me to commit to things and to do things because I knew I was making those decisions for myself. So no, quite the opposite. No pushy parents here. I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. And how do they find your humour? Oh, they love it. They love it and they hate it all in the same. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> I'm like a middle child, but I don't have a younger sibling. I am very much the younger sibling. So my sisters are two school years older than me. Um, and so I get away with murder and it's it's known. It is absolutely known and understood that I get away with absolute murder. And they do really like it. Um, I, I can make my mum laugh very easily. Um, my sister has that, you know, she's that sort of like um, reluctant laugh at things sometimes because she just finds me like the annoying mm -hmm. younger sister. <laughs> but yeah, I think they do. Me and my dad have got very similar, very dry um, humour, um, dry to the point well, I don't know if I should tell this story, but we were at his mother's funeral and it was in a, it was a, a cremation. And I'd never been to a cremation before. And they funnel you in the back and you sit in these seats that are all very sort of like set up. And there's a little video of some reeds or like some flowers and there's music. And then you see the coffin and all this. And then you all funnel out another door. And it felt like when you go on the bit before a roller coaster, when you go in and you all sit down and you watch the video and then you go through and then like the experience is over. So I, we get out the doors and it's all very sort of somber. And I just turned to my dad and I'm like, dad, do we go through the gift shop now? And we both just burst out laughing. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. Sounds like you have a very supportive family, um, which is just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful to hear. Really nice to hear that. Um, you mentioned um, the emergency I was going to say room, but we're not American, are we? Um, <laughs> what do we call it? What do we call a &E. it? Um, A&E, that's it. That's what we yeah. call it. What drives you to that? That's high pressure stuff. So what drives you to wanting to be there in that environment? So for me, I, when I did, I had the idea of it. And when I did work experience and I saw an A&E working and I saw a resuscitation area, I just thought I love that team thing. I love there's quick things happening. I like that you, you do a treatment, you give a drug and you see a result. So I like the quick turnover. I really love talking with patients and building a rapport with them and getting them on side. I find that very selfishly, I get so much joy from that and I get so much satisfaction from building a relationship with someone um, anyway, but especially with someone when they're hurt, when they're, um, when they're sick, when they're frightened. Um, and being able to offer that to people, I find that so hugely satisfying. And with A&E, you do that 10 times over in the day with 10 different people who are just having this experience once. And I find that hugely satisfying to be able to give someone that experience. 
the uh, moving away from like I suppose the social side of it but the medical side of it I like the trauma stuff I like making limbs look more like they should look I like the little procedures that we can do in A&E I like the broken bones I like looking at x-rays I like you know as I say you know if someone's got a really fast heart rate you can give a drug that slows it down and I love seeing that happen me do something something else happen and I love that quick payoff um so for me like working on medical wards mm. where you start someone on a drug and three weeks later their wart might be smaller it doesn't do it for me it just doesn't do it for me so it's the quick turnover mm. and it's the interesting medicine and it's the team aspect that you get you know you work pretty on your own seeing your patients individually but you can go and have a chat with, with your boss and say you know I'm not really sure what to do here and I love that you know because GP offers a little bit of that individualism that building rapport but you don't have that team thing where you can in that moment go and say to the boss well I, I don't really know about this and what do you think about that um, and it is certainly very high pressure, but I do like that. I like to be busy, um, not flogged, but I do like to be busy. So mm -hmm. there's so much about it that, that appeals to me. And the more I've worked in it and the more I've committed to it, the more certain I've been of my decision as well. You speak so passionately about it. I mean, I've always said I don't know how people in the medical profession do it. I've had people say that to me about teaching. I don't know how I taught 11 to 18 year olds for 12 years. You know, I don't know how you do it. But I, I suppose it is, it's just down to personal preference. But the way that you explained that then actually really excited me, like made me feel like it would be a great environment to be in because there's nothing more profound than being able to fundamentally help another human being mm -hmm. to exist and live. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. And that's just bloody phenomenal. That is, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I Do you get much, sorry. No, I feel very lucky as well to be able to have that. I think it's, I think it's such a privileged position to be in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Again, I think you've worked very hard for that luck. So <laughs> yes, that's just the coach in me coming out. That's like, let's take a bit of ownership for what you've created there. Um, but yes, we are lucky certainly to live in this country and to have the kind of, you know, education and healthcare system that we do. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, so what kind of support do you get? Because there must be some tragedy and some trauma around what you see in A&E. Um, what support are you given to ensure that you can leave work feeling like you've done the right thing the best thing for you and for the patient yeah and this is really important this is when I do sort of medical Q&A's on my Instagram this is especially what people ask you know what do you do about the really tragic things and the really sad things and we're it's pretty well hammered into us to do debriefs so either rolling debriefs you know sort of throughout the day or a debrief after a particular event in my um second year being a doctor my first A&E job we had um a a young girl uh, I think she was four or five years old who had uh, arrested and she had died at home and she came in and there was a resuscitation effort but it was ultimately futile and that was by far one of the worst things I've ever seen um, and it was utterly utterly tragic and I was all right all the way through very task focused and you think well I'm doing this and I know I've got this job to do I can do this little job well and you compartmentalize you do your little job during um, and then it was only after, you know, it had been decided that that it was it was unfortunately that she had died. And I went back in. We'd taken some blood tests when we had put some um, put a drip in and I went back to get the blood tube so we could send them because obviously it would give us hopefully some answers. And I saw uh, the mum with her on her lap and I was done. Oh, I was done because mm. she wasn't she wasn't a little girl that I was trying to get a drip into and take some blood from the whole thing. And I think I walked out of the recess area, tears. I, I didn't even know I was crying, tears running down my face. And I'm trying to stick these labels on these tiny pediatric bottles and I can't see what I'm doing and they're not sticking. And I can't understand why I'm not getting these bottles with the stickers on until my consultant looks at me and goes, give those to me, give them to me. And I, you know, I relied on my consultant at that point to uh, tell me, okay, you're, and I just then I suddenly thought, oh gosh, yeah, I do need to go and have a little sit down. So I've been really fortunate in that the consultants I've worked with have been so able to advocate for me when I'm overwhelmed and I haven't noticed. Um, so there's an awful lot of that. And we had a big debrief mm. after that too. 
and we were able to talk about it very freely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that I spoke about how I was so glad I was trying to get the drip in because I couldn't have done chest compressions. I would have just felt found that really difficult to do and I don't think I would have been able to do it. So we debrief about these big, big, sad things um, and we talk about them a lot. And I, th- I think there's definitely the culture shifted so much to like making sure you know, we, we made teas and coffees. We got piles of biscuits, put it all in a room and anyone involved, we came and we sat and we talked about it. So that was a brilliant you know, example of a debrief. Um, and then I think for other things, I, I, but I think it's tricky, though. And I think because we're so good at debriefing about these big, scary, tragic things, Sometimes we forget that actually if you dose something wrong and prescribe it wrong and have to redo that, and then if you don't interpret something quite right and all these little bits, that builds up too. Um, So I try to um, Mm -hmm. keep a note of the small things as well that might not go well and not allow, you know, debrief them in my mind. I think we do handovers at the end of every shift as well. So let's say, you know, I'm finishing at 10 p.m. and I've just got a patient who I, you know, this is what I think is going on. I'm waiting for this result and then this will be what I'll do next. You'll always hand that over to someone else. So you can make sure when you leave your shift that you've handed over everything, everything's neatly packaged up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is not to say, though, that when I've gotten home, I haven't called back to say, also, just this and can I ask this and would you just check that for me um so I think it's it's being able to understand that you don't having the humility of knowing that you don't always get it right no one ever gets always gets it right and knowing that you can always say actually I'm not sure about this and that I have never had a bad experience when I've gone to a senior and I've said I feel out of my depth or I'm not sure about this or could you check this so um, I've been hugely well supported by my seniors absolutely mm-hmm. Uh, a massive a massive thank you I think from me to the National Health Service and to people like yourself who just do such a phenomenal job um totally in awe of of the kind of you make me laugh and you could save my life you know what (laughs) what a great combination maybe at the same time Could you imagine? Um, so we've got a little bit more time, a little bit more time left. So I'm going to ask you some more questions, if that's okay with you. If you've of still course. got some time, that'd be great. Um, I I would love to know you. You alluded to being a little bit naughty at school, a little bit cheeky, um, as was I, which is why I think I did so well as a teacher because I kind of understood the naughty kids. Naughty is a terrible word, actually. Um, what was the cheekiest, naughtiest thing you did when you were at school? Ooh. Um, so I was mostly just very chatty. I was never nasty to teachers and I was never rude. I was just cheeky. And um, I remember I was in a food technology class and we had different areas and they had different equipment, different areas. And I was making, I think I was making like a carbonara. I can't remember. And I'd run out of little plastic bowls and I wanted to drain the fat off the pancetta like mum does. And I thought, well, I can't put it down the sink. So I plug the thing and I shan't I won't put it in the bin because that's going to melt the bin bag. So I went over to another area to get a little bowl. I come back with my little bowl and my teacher, I know everyone says this, but she didn't like me. She didn't. And I get it. I get it. But she didn't like me. We didn't gel. We didn't bond. And she was like, excuse me, what are you doing with that bowl? And I'm like, am I getting in trouble? And I was like, oh, I've just borrowed it. You can't take those bowls. And I remember I just went, okay, all right, I'm in trouble now. So I was like, excuse me, can I just stop the, everyone listen, can I just stop the class, please? Miss, can you explain why you're sending me out? And she was like, well, um, and of course then I was sent out. So she sends me out. And I'm standing outside the uh, the room and I'm like, cool, like, I'm really not bothered. Pancetta's burnt now anyway. And uh, she comes to the door and she goes, right, didn't you want to um, come back in and sit down now? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> so she leaves again. And I stand outside for a bit longer. And eventually she invites me back in. And I don't know where I got the balls from. She goes, right, do you want to come back in? I come back in, I take my apron off, I hung it up and I walked home. <laughs> I just went home. Oh, wow. I just went home. That's amazing. It's so naughty. And I I didn't live far away, so I walked home. And then the next day I tried to come into the lesson. I'd been internally excluded and had to go and sit in the uh, um, head of years lesson. That was probably like, that's Ooh, one of the that naughtiest. That is quite naughty. It was naughty. And then, you know, silly yeah, things like home, washing up bubble fights and... Um, Oh, this is a terrible one. We had a um, a textiles teacher who I'm pretty sure was drunk most of the time. Bless her. God rest her soul. I don't know if she's dead, but 
she wasn't like she was looking ropey when I saw her <laughs> and um we filled her bag with pins we put loads of push pins in the bag and then our terrifying resistant materials teacher comes in the room picks it up and it was his bag and we just took it to our like I'll tell that to my grave <gasps> she says telling everyone on a podcast so we filled the wrong teacher's bag full of pins now everyone knows <laughs> now everyone knows sorry Mr. Yeah, Ball everyone knows now that I wasn't expecting it to be. Well, no, mind you, we were we were quite naughty. I think I, yeah. yeah, I think I think that's okay. It's not too. It's not too bad. Yeah, I don't at least think you weren't swearing at your teachers. No, or... oh god, no. no. I accidentally no. swore once no. at school, and I cried so much because I'd accidentally sworn that my teacher let me off. <laughs> I didn't mean to swear and it just came out and she was like it's okay and I was so upset because that day I'd brought in my rock collection but I was too upset I was too upset I was too upset you were too upset too upset mm-hmm. I was too upset to show the class my rocks because I'd accidentally sworn and I was crying too much oh Maddie that makes me sad for you such a whim <laughs> what a massive pussy oh, I dear. am no 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 um so something that I find incredible about you is just your really cool lingo so I am 30 I don't even know 36 or 7 one of those and um I'd never heard of long boy or some of the other things that you commonly use how do you get to being in your late 20s but still being really cool for the kids (laughs) well I mean I'm so glad that you think I'm it's cool that's very good do you know what it's it's memes it's the fault of memes the danker the meme the better the meme and it's just silly stuff and I think it's saying whatever you say but owning it and in anything I do I try to absolutely own it and if you do anything with confidence people think you've done it on purpose and that you're saying the right thing it's like someone says what's two plus two seven it gets seven. You could really convince someone that it was seven if you say it with enough confidence. What's your favourite meme lingo at the moment? There's, there's a really annoying meme going around, which is just a frog going, sheesh. And my boyfriend keeps saying it and it's driving me mad and he just does it to everything. Sheesh. That's a good one at the minute. Okay. Yeah. I think I should just ask my son. I think he might actually also know a few of the. I think you and he could have a really good conversation about the meme, the meme thing. I'm going to watch some more memes. I've had a massive confidence journey on Instagram. So I alluded to earlier on that I wasn't really on social media before. Um, Since this thing called Clubhouse, um, new phenomenon, very crazy audio app, which is amazing. um, There's a lot of traffic that's being driven to Instagram accounts from that app. So I've started doing things like prancing around in real videos and really struggling with this concept of, being an executive coach but then also you know I am actually I do like to have a bit of a laugh I'm a bit rude I I do like a giggle um so I'm doing that and I struggle with it um I look back at what I do and I, I feel a bit sick sometimes do you ever look at what you're doing and feel um I don't know or are you really confident in everything that you that you put out I no, I don't ever look back at it. And I, there are some videos that you would imagine I could look back at and think, oh, God. But I really don't. And I think the reason why, and I saw a comment once that someone said, can you believe she's a doctor? And someone just put, yeah, the duality of women. And I was like, the duality of women. And actually, then I took so much joy in this silly me and I'm still a doctor. These two people coexist and one does not need to apologize Mm. for the other. And actually then I looked at those videos and I took so much power from them. And I knew I can exist Mm. in this space as this silly person, as this certified long boy, the ridiculous arms fan. And I am also still in the same universe, a real and a decent doctor. And those things can coexist. You can know it's not one or the other. And women and we don't have to choose whether we are a mother or whether we are a professional or whether we are, you know, this or that, or we are a long boy or a doctor. We can be all of those things separately and also (laughs) completely together. And one does not negate from the other, you know? 
And I, so I think then actually mm. the videos that one might imagine I would look at and go, I look at and I'm like, it's almost like pushing, I can see myself pushing the envelope a little bit, being like, look, I'm being ridiculous here and it's okay. You know, and I, I always obviously keep professionalism at mind. And I, I would always make sure that if a patient saw the video, I would be okay with that, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I actually take an awful lot of, of power from it, from being able to do that. And and you know what? You have given a lot of people power to do that too. And I'm not sure if anyone's ever spoken to you about this. You know, all I do is is I, I watch you on Instagram. I, I haven't like properly stalked you by looking at all the interviews that you may have done or spoken to people who follow you as well, um, which probably should have been a bit of due diligence on my part. I just wanted to have a conversation with you. Um, what's, what's really interesting about what you're saying there about that power and pushing the envelope I have definitely gained inspiration and confidence from watching you and I bet that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people who feel the same way as I do who have who have felt slightly boxed in and and have felt like there is a I need to be either this or and actually no we are who we are Maddie, you're an absolute legend. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. Uh, Jackson, do you want to just come in a second? I know this is a podcast. I'm actually going to record you on the podcast. This is Maddie. Maddie's super cool, like really, really cool. She's really into memes. Oh, hello, Jackson. Right? And, um... I just wondered if you've heard of the term long boy. I've only heard... Small boy. 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 <laughs> I've only heard boy, bruh, bork, all that Bork. Stuff. What about doge? What about doge? Oh, that's an old meme. That's oh, old. it's old. It's vintage. That's a big meme. That's Is it a big dead? meme. Oh no, is it not dank anymore then? It's not a dank meme. Uh, I think pizza time is a dead meme yeah. as well. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, so Maddie's boyfriend says something around the house a lot. He says, sheesh. Sheesh. Have you seen that Have one? You That's that one. No. It's a little toad. <laughs> it goes, sheesh. We'll look that up. We'll look that one up. Have yeah? you seen- in, have you seen the video clip of Spooky Scary Bandicoots? No, but I think I need to. There you go. Right, Jackson, Maddie, Maddie, Jackson, there you go. Pleasure, I'll be Jackson. out in a minute. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I definitely need to hang out with him more because he's got all the cool lingo. Yeah, boy. <laughs> boy. Um, oh, hamburger. Hamburger. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, I know that one. I'm cool. <laughs> I don't. Alan, wait what? Okay, wait what? Love it. Um, absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm going to finish this interview now. So we have got some incredible guests on this podcast. I think you're going to love some of the guests that are on this podcast. And you are just, ah, oh, you're just, I came to Maddie and I just went, I'm going to take a punt. I'm going to say, please, can you come and be on my podcast? even though I'm punching by asking. And she came back to me and went, yes, please. Yes, please. And I just, <laughs> I just thought that was the loveliest response to a request like that ever. And I want to say, with all the gratitude that I have, thank you for not making me feel like an inferior human by asking you to come on a podcast <laughs> and you just going yeah I want that I'm in absolutely um because I think it's really kind and and lovely of you to share your wealth with us minions oh stop I think it's I think it's wonderful for you to ask me to come and talk with you I think to spend your time to speak with me how could I not want to do that I was I was very so pleased that you asked absolutely so lovely so what are you going to do with your fame on Instagram what are the next steps for you before we close out how are you going to leverage your success 
So, oh, I mean, I, I want to I carry on how I'm going. I want to keep being empowering. I want to definitely swing the focus to some women's health things. I've done some really great Q&As about concept of coils and periods. And um, so there's lots of exciting things hopefully coming up with period chats. So I just want to empower women to know their normal um, and empower people to be themselves without being performative. You know, um, I think the best way to encourage is to lead by example and I, if people see me living authentically as me and that inspires them to do the same and wear the purple flares or wear the heeled boots or put on whatever you want to wear because you want to wear it, um, then that's what I want to do with my social media. And maybe a few brand deals. I don't know. Line my pockets. Who knows? <laughs> Maddie, thank you so much for being with us. You've been an absolute inspiration to me on my journey of social media confidence, um, but also in the confidence to just have a laugh, have some fun while we're alive, because it's not as serious as we make it out to be. Um, and I, I've really, really enjoyed having a chat with you. If you want to follow Maddie, all of her social links are um, within the podcast. Please do. Please do check her out. She's absolutely brilliant. Maddie, is there anything from you, any words of wisdom, not to put you on the spot? <laughs> For for our lovely listeners, um, yes, what would you like to say before we go? Oh, I mean, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Um, and my words of wisdom, you know, as, as I say, life is 10% what happens, 90% how you react to it, reclaim your emotions. And even if you're super sad, feel that sadness, enjoy it and, and be proud of who you are and be yourself. Um, but also it's okay sometimes to to not be quite on, on top form, not top long boy form. And, you know, long boy started off as a physical stature, but it's become a state of mind. And we all can be long boys if we try. We certainly can. Excellent. Uh, you have been Maddie. I've been Lucien. We've been together on That's What She Said. Have a lovely week, folks. Goodbye. I'm a fan of all my haters. Must be doing something I'm sure you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you so much for being part of our journey recording this podcast today on That's What She Said. Maddie Lucy Dan is an inspiration to so many. There were moments of sheer and deep sadness. There were moments where there were tears running down my face. She is such an inspiration. Please do check her out. And thank you to those of you who have been listening to these episodes and have been sharing how much you are enjoying them. It is my absolute pleasure to bring to you these conversations of women from around the world in That's What She Said. Thank you for joining us on another episode of That's What She Said. This is a phenomenal collective of female voices from around the world. And I'm sharing that to empower women to share our stories so that you know that you are not alone. I'm a woman who's gone through it all. Honestly, there is nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard before, either with my clients or through my own life journey. And we need to stop hiding behind a veneer of perfection. These stories are important and we need to share them loudly and proudly. And that's what we're doing on this series of That's What She Said. Thank you for joining us. I have been your host, Lucienne Shakir, and it has been an absolute pleasure to spend my time with these phenomenal women. Oh,